Good morning. Let's stand and worship together this morning. Break down. 
is our only king.
with me and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we 
we just praise you today. We are so thankful for the freedom we have to worship you each and every Sunday morning. Lord, we know that you're preparing a wonderful place because we know that this is what heaven sounds like. It's just a full chorus of just worshiping you, Lord. Songs to sing your praise and just express our gratitude towards you. We're thankful for today. We're thankful for Sean, Lord, and we ask that you just open our hearts and minds to the message that you have prepared for us. And we do all these things in your name. Amen. You can be seated. Morning. Welcome to New Life. My name is Paige Hearn. I'm a rising sixth grader and a disciple maker here at New Life. So if you're new here, you can fill out the Connect card at the guest services table out in the hallway. We would love to connect you here with other new lifers and just get to know you more. Isn't she great? Yeah. I'm Stephanie Del Aguila, guest services director, here to help you take your next step of faith or wherever you're at in your journey, just walk alongside you. Um, maybe you're thinking about baptism or joining a leadership team here at New Life. I'll be happy to connect you with people to get you in that right direction. And if you are interested in joining our leadership team, we have a leadership summit coming up next Sunday here at Piney Branch where we're going to be talking about our teams, making goals, um, clarifying our roles as those teams, and kind of building out our calendar for the upcoming fall. I would love to get you more information if you're interested. Um, we also have life groups that are going to be kicking off on September 10th. Um, some are changing times. Some of them are staying the same. Some new groups are forming. And so we'll have more information on that on September 10th. But I would love to get you connected in any way that I can. So if you haven't already grabbed communion, they are available by the entrance. We will be using those to get in service. There is also a offering box by the through. So today, if you can't care to give, we are thankful for your generosity. Today, Sean Cronin will be speaking, so he'll be right up after this video. So let me explain. Well, first, can Stephanie or someone, can someone get me a music stand so I can put my notes on it? All right. Oh, it's over here. Yeah, we'll make it work. All right. So the Minister of Pain, let me explain the Minister of Pain's nickname first, okay? It has nothing to do with what's going on today, okay? Hopefully the sermon won't be that bad. But I, I got that nickname when I was in high school, first when I was in high school playing basketball, and uh I, you know, told my friends that I felt like God was calling me to go into ministry. So um, they knew, okay, one day Sean's going to be a minister. And I had a tendency of injuring some players, kind of had a reputation for throwing some elbows. So they gave, me that uh, they gave me that nickname when I was in high school. And then when I became a fitness instructor at the end zone, 
and put people in pain during all my workouts. They just, they embrace that. So, hopefully it has nothing to do with today's sermon. But today, I get to preach a message that Jason Bedell preached last week at our Chantilly campus. Jason Bedell is a pastor in Virginia Beach. He preaches at a church called Forefront Church a few weeks ago when I was here. I told you about how our first church plant was planted by Vince Antonucci in Virginia Beach. And so Vince planted that church, and Jason Bedell became a member, started learning under Vince. And then when Vince went off to plant Verve Church in Las Vegas, Jason Bedell became the pastor of this church, Forefront Church in Virginia Beach. And so Jason was at our Chantilly campus last week and preached a message called Doubting the Divine. Doubting the Divine. What do you do? When you begin to doubt in God's goodness and his will for your life and maybe even his existence. And so I would encourage you, I was very encouraged by his message. And so I would encourage you to go online and listen to his message sometime this week. He shares a lot of stories, personal stories about how he's processed through some of the hard things him and his family have experienced in order to grow closer to God. I'm going to talk about doubt today, but it'll be from a different angle. So you can listen to his and you can listen to mine. I think we can get something out of both sermons. Because I don't know about you, but I am someone who struggles with doubt. Now, I might be the only one, but I am someone that wakes up pretty much every day and has this question come to my mind. Sean, how do you know that this whole Christianity thing, this whole belief in God thing, isn't just some fairy tale, some make-believe story that people over time have created, have thought up in order to give us some meaning and some purpose in life. Because if this world is all that there is, then life is meaningless. There is no purpose, there is no hope, and it becomes very depressing. And so, you know, over the years, people just made up this whole religion thing to give us some, some meaning, some purpose, some hope. It's just make-believe, Sean. Or maybe, maybe people made it up because they needed some law and some order. They needed some moral authority so that people just didn't do whatever they wanted. We created this whole God thing so that we can live together well. But it's all just make-believe. I wrestle with that question almost on a daily basis. And I would imagine that I'm not the only one who struggles with doubt. Maybe for you it was because you went to college and you went to your English class and your English professor said, you can't really trust the Bible. You know, it, it's, it's, it's been changed so many different times throughout the years. It's not historically reliable. Or maybe for you, it was some personal tragedy, some hardship that you experienced. Maybe you grew up in the church and you had rock-solid faith, but then but maybe there was a leader that you looked up to that let you down, didn't live the lifestyle that they were calling everyone else to live, and it kind of started to make the foundation of your faith crack and, and crumble a little bit. Or maybe it was a personal tragedy that you experienced and you said, why, how could a loving God allow this? hardship happened to me. Maybe it was the death of a loved one. Maybe it was sickness that you experienced. But some of you are like, this doesn't make sense. How, how could a God who loves me allow me to go through this pain and suffering? So I, I don't think I'm the only one who struggles with doubt today. So I, we're going to actually go to the Bible and say, so what does the Bible tell us to do when we experience 
down. We're going to look at one particular story of a guy who had rock-solid faith, but then began to doubt some of his faith, see how he responded to it. And let me just address this. We're going to assume today that this is God's word. Now, we'll have other sermons coming up, and we've had them in the past, of why we can even trust that this is a reliable source of, of, of history, why we can trust that it's God's word. So we can't cover that today, but we're just going to assume that this is God's word. And, and we're going to expect God to speak through his word today to help us get through our days of doubt. Before we unpack God's word today, let's pray and ask God to speak to us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we come before you and at least I'll admit there are days that I struggle to believe that you're really there. But God, I thank you for recently, recently showing, showing up, answering prayers, encouraging me. And I pray that today that that would be something that you do to each and every one of us, that you would show up, you would show off, you would be glorified. God, speak to us today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So if you would, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11 tells a story, a true story, about a guy named John the Baptist. John the Baptist is my favorite character in the Bible. Like, if, if you can have a favorite character in the Bible and not be Jesus, okay, it would be John the Baptist. Like, the, my, my favorite human being in the Bible is John the Baptist. I love this guy. Like, you think, I don't know if you saw, like, eating cereal with water is crazy. Like John the Baptist, he survived on a diet of locusts and wild honey because he was so frugal in order to preach about Jesus. See, God had sent John the Baptist to prepare the way for Jesus. There had been about 400 years of silence before, G before John the Baptist shows up on the scene. But he says, John, I need you to go and I need you to prepare the way for the Messiah. And for me, this 400 years of silence in the biblical narrative is very encouraging to me. Because some of the reasons why I doubt in God's existence some days is because I read the Bible and I'm like, where is that God? Like in the Bible, he's just like talking to people and he's just doing miracles. And it's like, that's just like what he does on Tuesday. And then Wednesday he does this and Thursday. It's like, where, where are you, God? Why don't you do that today? And yet I... If I'm honest and I read the biblical text, there are periods, even within the Old Testament, where God will show up and then he'll be silent for a while. And you don't see him moving. And then there's this whole about 400 years, 400 plus years, where there aren't prophets, there aren't miracles. There's just this kind of this darkness, this silence, and we're waiting for God. We're waiting for God. And I think that's where we are today in between Jesus' first coming and second coming. Yeah, he shows up. Yeah, he's there when we can find him, but he's maybe not going to show up in the exact same ways that he shows up with fire from heaven and miracles all the time. But now this 450, 400 years plus has come to an end, and God appoints John the Baptist to prepare the way for Jesus. And so John is preaching in the desert. Yeah, he's wearing camel skin. He's a frugal guy. I love that. He's, he's wearing camel skin. He shops at you know, thrift stores. And, but he does this so that he can preach about Jesus and tell people, you need to repent of your sins. You need to be baptized because the Messiah is coming. Prepare yourself for him. 
So people are coming, and he's baptizing people. Everyone's getting wet, and all of a sudden, Jesus shows up to be baptized, and John's like, okay, here we go. And he, he baptizes Jesus. And when he baptizes Jesus, you know what happens? Heaven tears open. The sky rips in two, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a dove. And it's not just like going around like, like any other bird would be like, doo, doo, doo. no, it rests on Jesus. It's like, wow, that's not a coincidence. It rests right on Jesus. And then all of a sudden, this thunderous voice comes from heaven and says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. It's like, you know, it's like light shows from heaven. Like if, if John needed evidence of who Jesus was, it's like, here it is. Here's Messiah. And so this is actually what John says about this moment. John chapter 1, verse 32 says, and John testifies. Hey, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he rested on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, this is God, God told me, hey, the one you see the Holy Spirit descending on and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. John says, I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. So that's what John's experienced. Right, he's, he's baptized Jesus, he's seen heaven ripped in two, he's seen the Holy Spirit come down, he's heard this thunderous voice from heaven. And you would think if there was one person who would never doubt that Jesus is Messiah, that he is the Son of God, it would be John the Baptist, right? You experience that, it's like, alright, never going never gonna to doubt, it's always going to think about this, I'm always going to be good. And yet, in Matthew chapter 11, we see cracks beginning to form in John's faith, in his belief of whether or not Jesus was truly the Messiah. And I think you've probably been there too, right? There have been times in your life when God made himself so clear to you. He answered a prayer. He gave you a sign. He delivered you. He provided for you. And you said, thank you, God. Thank you, God. I know you're there. I trust you. But then the dark days come in, then the tragedy strikes, then something bad happens and you begin to doubt. What do you do in those days of doubt? Let's learn from John the Baptist's example. Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. It says, when Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he moved on from there to teach and to preach in their towns. Now when John heard in prison... What the Christ was doing, he had sent a message through his disciples and asked him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus, are you the Messiah? Is, I, or or did, did I get it wrong? Are you, are you not the Messiah? What can we learn from John's example here? Well, number one, we need to see that John, experiencing, he's experienced this great hardship. He's in jail, not because he did anything wrong. But because he's done exactly what God has called him to do, he's preached, he's called people to repent. Specifically, he's called King Herod to repent. King Herod has married his brother's wife. And John's like, uh-uh, that's not what you do, okay, as a ruler of God's people. You don't marry your brother's wife. And so Herod didn't like that. Herod's new wife didn't like that. And so they, they throw him in prison, and now John is in prison. And probably for a few days, he's like, this is it's fine. This is good. You know, I'm good. Like, you can throw me in prison. He says, you know what the Messiah is co coming to do? To liberate the captives. 
so I'm, I'm probably going to be here for a couple of days, but it's all good. It's all good. But then day after day, and then months, and John's still in prison. And he's wondering, like, did I get something wrong here? This isn't adding up. If Jesus was truly the Messiah, I shouldn't be here in prison. And so what does he do? Number one, he begins to ask questions. He, he does, he's not afraid to ask questions. He sends his disciples out to ask Jesus, are you the one to come or should we expect someone else? And so in our days of doubt, we need to encourage ourselves to ask the hard questions. Here's the deal. Sincere questions fosters a strong faith. Yes, sincere questions fosters strong faith. Maybe some of us, maybe we were at some point in our life told we shouldn't question authority or we shouldn't question the Bible or we shouldn't question God. It's like, no, we, we can question him. We can question the Bible. We don't have to be afraid of where the truth will lead us because the truth will always lead us back to God. Right, when, when the Israelites, when they were taken captivity, when they were taken in captive to, to Babylon, God says, hey, you will find me when you seek me with your entire heart. Like he said, I know you're going through a hard time, but if you seek me, you will find me. You know, I, I know there are times when I'm reading the Bible and I'm like, seems like a contradiction like wait a minute it says it says there were two angels in in this town and this says there was one angel there was one demoniac demoniac and there's one it's like two over here and sometimes i'm like maybe i shouldn't ask the question because maybe it's gonna either erode in my faith but when i ask the questions and i when i go and investigate i realize no that's not a contradiction they're just complementary accounts and it's what we should expect from independent sources giving their understanding of what actually happened. You know, th this is why people like J. Warner Wallace have become Christians. J. Warner Wallace is a cold case detective in Los Angeles County, invited by a friend to go to church. He starts going to church. He's like, this, he's, like, this is crazy. This is interesting. I mean, if this is true, like, I need to give my whole life to this. But he's like, but I'm a cold case detective, and so I can kind of apply. So he applied what he did in forensic science to the Gospels, to Christianity, and he found that it holds up. That, that according to all the historical documents, that this is the best explanation for the, the rise of the Christian faith, that Jesus is who he says he is, and that he actually rose from the dead. It's why C.S. Lewis became a Christian. C.S. Lewis was an atheist for many years. He describes his conversion to, from atheism to theism as a, he, he went kicking and screaming. He said he was the most reluctant convert. And then became friends with Gerald Tolkien, some other Christians, and, well, they helped him go from theism to Christianity. But after a, a searching the evidence, he became so convinced of it, he said, I need to write books about it. And he wrote a book called Mere Christianity, which is one of the most foundational and influential books for the Christian faith in the 20th century. And if you have questions about your faith and doubt, I would encourage you to read Mere Christianity. Read Cold Case Christianity by, by J. Warner Wallace. Same is true with Lee Strobel. You know, his faith became strong because he said, I'm going to prove Christianity wrong because my wife became a Christian and she's gone nuts. Right, but he wasn't afraid to ask the hard questions and it led to a strong faith. So don't, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to turn over the rocks and see what all the swivelly things underneath the rock. It will lead you to truth and that truth will always lead you 
God. Another thing we need to learn from this story is don't be afraid to ask questions, but also make sure you got other people in your life that can help you experience God in fresh and new ways. You know, John was in this prison cell all by himself, right? He's in this darkness. And in, in the moments of darkness, right, when we put our hope in things and things don't work out as, as his isn't working out as he always hoped it would, we are going to go through some dark days. We're going to experience depression. And, and when we're in, sitting in the midst of depression, you know what that does? It clouds your judgment. And everything looks dark. And so we need other people in our life that aren't sitting in that same place as that. We need some other people who are living in the light that can report back to us what's actually going on in reality. In life outside of our darkness, in life outside of our prison cells. And so that's what John's disciples were able to do. He sends them out and says, hey, go, 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 go ask Jesus what's going on. What's really the truth? I know for me, that's one of the reasons why I love being in small groups with other people. We study the Bible. But not only do we study the Bible, we share prayer requests. We pray for one another. And we share how we're experiencing God. And there, are, there have been seasons where I'm like, I just haven't really felt God in a while. I haven't seen him answer a prayer request in my life in a while. He seems very distant to me right now. But then you know what someone else in my group does? They share a story of how God has recently answered a prayer request. I'm like, actually, I remember praying for that. That's awesome. Because even though that's not in my life, I can see it happening in your life, and that encourages me. Or, I got, or someone else shares a story about how God has provided for them. And even though it might not be happening personally for me, I get a little bit of light from what God's doing in their life, and eventually I get to be that light when they're in that darkness. And so we need to have people in our lives community, small groups that, can, that we can lean on and encourage for those days of darkness. And so John sends his disciples out to go and question Jesus, are you the Messiah? Are you truly the Messiah or should we expect someone else? And this is what Jesus does in response. Jesus answers them and says, go report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. And blessed is the one who isn't offended or stumbled because of me or by me. So one, one reason why we see John is doubting is, is because he had a little faulty understanding of who the Messiah was going to be. Right, he, he thought the Messiah was going to come and become this conquering king and to, to set up his rule, his, his capital in Jerusalem. He was going to kick out Herod and kick out the Romans and Caesar wouldn't be in charge anymore, but the Messiah would be in charge. And when, when Jesus is not sit, sitting on his throne in Jerusalem and when there are still captives in their jail cells like John who have been faithful to God's calling, he's like, it doesn't make sense. But he's got a faulty understanding of what the Messiah was going to come to do right that was just a common perception of the messiah's job and rule and reign in the first century jewish context and some of the reasons why we doubt is because our understanding of god isn't 100 percent accurate like none of us have a a hundred percent perfect understanding of who god is you know some of us we expect when we became a christian we were kind of like i guess like god's just always going to protect me and bad things are never going to happen 
And then bad things happen, and we're like, okay, God, are you really there? And yet, God said, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, so take heart, I have overcome the world. But sometimes we don't remember that. Sometimes our theology, our understanding of God is faulty. Like John's understanding was faulty of who Jesus was. And so Jesus says, hey, tell John this. Tell him what you see and what you hear, that the, the, those who are deaf, they're hearing now. Those who are blind can see. He's saying, I am doing miracles. He said, I am doing exactly what the Messiah was sent to do. And even though it's maybe not satisfying for you, John, even though it's not helping you right now, this is my job, ushering God's rule and reign into the world. He says, my kingdom looks a little bit different than the kingdom you expected me to bring, but... I am bringing it. And so something that John needed to learn is a lesson that I learned from a college professor, a guy named Dr. Tom Lawson. He told his students this. He said, students, never doubt in the dark what you've seen in the light. That's what he said. Never doubt in the dark what you have seen in the light. And that's what John needed to embrace that day. As he's sitting rotten in this jail cell, he needed to go back to that day that he baptized Jesus. He needed to go back to that day where heaven tore open and he saw God affirm that Jesus was the Messiah. So that in his days of darkness, he wouldn't stumble or he wouldn't be offended by Jesus. And that's true for us, friends. In our days of doubt, we need to remember to never doubt in the dark what we have seen in the light. Maybe that's what you need to embrace today when it comes to your marriage. Because maybe your marriage is in a, in a dark spot right now. And you're thinking, I don't know. I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know if I, I, maybe I married the wrong person. Right? It's not, it's not fun like it used to be. We, we, just, we, just, we just don't have the love, the same chemistry that we used to have. Jesus told churches in the book of Revelation, hey, you have for, forsaken your first love. You have forgotten your first love. So do what you did at first. So, hey, remember your marriage vows. Right? Remember the day that you said, till death do you part. Right? On the days you're like, I wish I was dead. Right? Till death do you part. Be faithful to those marriage vows. Do what you did at first. Go on dates. Fake it till you make it. But never doubt in the dark what you have seen in the light. You know, before the hard times came, before the depression set in, because oftentimes... The biggest regrets that we make in life are made when we're in the dark, when our judgment is clouded. And then when we're in the light, man, we really later regret it. So never doubt in the dark what you have seen in the light. Maybe God's called you to, to start maybe a small group. Maybe, you start, maybe he's called you to start a ministry and you've gotten started, but it's not working exactly as you hoped it would. And you're getting discouraged. Man, never doubt in the dark what you've seen in the light. If he's called you to do it, go do it. Be faithful. Maybe he's called you to adopt, to be a foster parent. He's called you to some great endeavor to bring glory to his name. But you're going to hit some barriers along the way. But never doubt in the dark what you've seen in the light. What he's made clear to you. So go and do it. You know, think about how has he, how has he proved himself real in your life? Maybe it, was your, maybe it was your baptism. On your baptism, you were baptized. And all of a sudden, you were filled with the Holy Spirit. And you're like, wow. Where did this conviction come from? Where did this joy come from? Remember that. 
never doubt in the dark what you've seen in the light? Has he, has he answered some prayer in your life? Has he provided for you in some miraculous way? Write down those stories. Remind yourself of those stories. For the past several years, that's something that I do every single day when I begin to think, is this all make-believe? I go back and I say, Lord, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? I've got plenty of stories. I'm just going to share one or two. We'll see what time I've got time for. I, I go back to this story. I was in eighth grade. I was getting ready to go to a public high school. I'd gone kindergarten through eighth grade to a very small Christian school, smaller than Infante's. I was getting ready to go to the local public high school, so I was scared. Right? Any students right now, you're getting ready to go back to school, and you're like, I don't know what to expect tomorrow, this week. I, I was all, all summer long, I was nervous. I'm like, I don't want to get beat up. I, 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 I don't want to compromise my faith. You know, I, was, I was started following Jesus when I was in seventh grade. Okay, I'm like, I want to follow Jesus in high school. So I started praying. This was my prayer. God, help me to make a smooth transition to high school. God, help me to make a smooth transition to high school. I want to represent you. Help me to make a smooth transition to high school. And I did what you probably shouldn't do when you're not trying to get beat up. I tried out for the golf team. Okay, it's like, why would you try for the golf team? Like, try for the football team, Sean. But I tried out for the golf team. I loved golf. Just barely made the team. First golf match is the fourth day of school. So September 11th, 2000. Monday, we're playing at our home course, the Country Club of Buffalo. All throughout tryouts, the upperclassmen were telling me, oh, just wait till you get to hole number six, the Country Club of Buffalo. It's like the best, most challenging hole in all of Western New York. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. So we get to hole six, and I'm having a terrible round. Um, to the expect I'm never going to play at the Country Club of Buffalo. It's more challenging than any course I've ever played before. Both coaches are at the tee box watching everyone hit their shots. It's put a little more pressure on you. You're going to play in front of both coaches because it's such a crucial hole. You're, it's a par three. You're hitting off an elevated tee. Goes down in this gully, and then all of a sudden, this they call it a volcano hole. The kind of rises out of the earth, and the top of it is chopped off. It's a slanted green. So it's like you're hitting to an island without the water, rough sand traps, hazards all around it. And so you got to hit this golf ball and stick it on the green, or else you got no chance of making a good score. So both coaches that are there watching, my coach said, Sean, what, what club are you going to use? I'm like, a, a five iron? I think I'm going to use a five iron. He goes, no, use a four iron and swing easy. I'm like, okay, I'm having a terrible round. I'm going to do whatever I can to be in your good graces. Okay, I'll use a four iron. So I tee up the ball. I take a nice, nice easy swing. The other coach has got binoculars. He goes, I think that went in the hole. I'm like, no, it probably, probably rolled off the back. Like, I'm going to be in trouble. Like, I'm going to get a terrible score on this. He's like, probably just roll out of the back. He's like, no, I think that went in the hole. So I'm kind of getting excited. Long story short, I get to the hole. It's in the hole. Um, it's, it's, you know, crazy. So I'm, I'm finishing up my round, and all the, all the seniors, all the upperclassmen have finished before me. They're coming out to congratulate me. Next day at school, they make an announcement. I'm like, the golf team never gets an announcement. Never, ever again made an announcement in my high school history. But they make this announcement the next day. Yesterday in golf action, freshman, freshman phenom Sean Cronin scored the hole in one. And so at, throughout the day, people are coming up to me. You're Sean Cronin? You're Sean Cronin? I'm in my English class. My, my teacher, da, 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 Sean Cronin. You're Sean Cronin? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, lucky shot. And I think, like, I've wrestled with, like, was that God? Was that an answer to prayer? All, all I knew was that it gave me a platform. It gave me an ability to make friends, to share my faith. And I'm like, was it, I mean, 
was it really God or was it just me? He's like, I think it was God because the next time I played it, I got a nine on it. <laughs> it's like, yep, okay, that wasn't me. I get it. I'm terrible. Okay. But it's like there's all these stories that I can share. Here's one more story that I can share more recently. So I, I, I felt God recently tell me to, to change up some of my responsibilities at the end zone. So I've been leading our CrossFit box for a while. I'm like, okay, it's time to hand that off. I'm like, but I don't want to hand it off until I'm confident that we've got a healthy team of coaches and some systems and some process in place. So when I hand it off, it's going to be someone can run with it and not just handing off some mess to them. And so I've been you know, kind of working hard to get the right people in place. And then I'm getting ready to make the, the, the transition, but three coaches. I know three coaches are going to be, be leaving, so more like half, half of our coaches are leaving. So I'm like, oh, okay, God, I, I think you're telling me to leave, but we need three new coaches. How's it going to work? And I felt him saying, God, take a step of faith. Sean, take a step of faith. Watch me provide. You know, that's what you read in the Old Testament. Abraham, go to the land I will show you, and eventually I will show you. Just go. Just take a step of faith. You know, the Israelites, go to the promised land. Uh, there's a river on our way. Take a step of faith, get wet, and then I will provide, he says. Okay, then the river parts. So I just tell him, saying, just, just commit and watch me provide. And so I, I committed. I said, all right, guys, I am leaving, okay? I'm going to hand it off to somebody. We'll figure it out, okay? And we'll see what happens. We'll see how God provides. I don't know the exact time period. Within a few weeks, three coaches came to me and said, can I coach, can I coach, can I coach? One particular girl she emailed me. She says, hey, I'm moving from, I'm moving from, I can't remember, Arizona, New Jersey. I'm moving here on Sunday. My husband and I, he's in the military, and I'm, I'm, I've been praying for a box to coach in. Could I coach at your box? I emailed back, I have been praying for you. Yes, you could coach in our box. Coach is Linnea. She's like, hey, for the next year, I'm just going to focus on coaching and training so that I can compete at higher levels of CrossFit competition. And she is strong in her faith. She's sharing her faith. She shares a verse of the day with all of her classes. I'm like, God, I couldn't do that. Thank you, God, for, 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 for providing Coach Linnea. You know, how has God shown up in your life? You've got to remember those days. When the days of darkness set in, you aren't seeing him answer prayer. You aren't seeing him providing. i got a few more minutes. So I'm going to share with you five questions that I always go back to when I am wrestling with why I believe that God exists. You know, some people ask me, Sean, why do you believe in God when there's no credible reason to believe that God exists? People, people will ask me that. And I say, what do you mean? I have five that I go back to. Here are the five reasons that I go back to when my faith in God begins to crumble. Number one, I ask myself, why is there something rather than nothing? We wrestle with that. Think about that. Why is there something rather than nothing. Uh, according to cosmology, the, the best scientists have, have, seen, have shown that there was a point where there was nothing. No time, no space, no matter. And all of a sudden, boom. Everything came into existence. Time, space, and matter. How could that happen? What was the cause behind it? It has to be something that's outside of time, space, and matter. A.K.A. Spirit, a.k.a. God. So why is there something rather than nothing? Number two, why does it appear as if everything in our world has this fine-tuned, fine-tuned, why, why, why is it fine-tuned to support life here on earth? 
know the laws of gravity, the exact distance between the sun and the earth. Our, our, the DNA in every human cell is more, compli- more complicated, more complex than any, DNA, any code than any software engineer has ever coded. Where does this information come from that makes us who we are, the building blocks of our life? If there's information, it should probably come from an intelligent mind, an intelligent source, an intelligent designer, a.k.a. God. Where did all this fine-tuning come from? It's just random. If it just started and just, boom, came out of of chaos, why is there order? Why is there design? Why is there all this fine-tuning in our universe all around us and even within us? Number three is, is there any reason to believe that there is objective moral standards or values? Like, do we have any reason to say that what the Nazis did in concentration camps all over Europe was wrong? Because if there is no absolute moral lawgiver, everything is subjective. Everything is relative. And we don't have any right to say that what they did was wrong. Because it's all just, we all make it up. And if it's right for them, then that's, they could say it was right for them. They were just following the rules. They were just doing what they thought was best. But if there is an absolute moral standard that we're all accountable to, then we can actually say and have grounds to say that what they did in exterminating millions of people in concentration camps was actually necessary, was actually wrong. There is no standard. There is no right or wrong. There is no good or evil. It's all just human constructs. Number four is who was Jesus? Ask that question. Who was Jesus? Did he claim to be the son of God? Did he come in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy? Did he die and rise again? Did he predict his own death, burial, and resurrection and actually make it happen? Because if he is the son of God, if he did die and rise again, then I'm just going to go with what he says about God. And he claimed to be God, so I'm going to say, yeah, God exists. The fifth one is your personal experience. How God has shown up, how you've experienced in very personal ways, how he's answered prayers, how he's provided you when you needed him. So those are, those are the five things that I go back to. Number one, cause. Where did everything come from? Number two, the fine-tuning of the universe. Number three, moral standards. Number four, who is Jesus? Number five is your personal experience. Guys, we're all going to experience some hard days. Right, some darkness. But on those days, remind yourself. Remind yourself to ask the hard questions. Don't be afraid of where the truth will lead you. Because the truth will lead you back to God. And in those darkness, in those days of darkness, never remember. Remember, never doubt in the dark what you have seen in the light. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you. I thank you, God, that that you do allow us to go to the mountaintop and to see you and to have a, a fresh perspective on what you're doing in the world. And yet, God, we know that on the other side of mountains are valleys. And so, God, maybe some of us are in a valley right now. And we need a higher perspective. God, we need some light to help us get through this darkness that we're currently experiencing. And so, God, we we ask that through this community, through your word, through some divine intervention, that you would open up our eyes to see your truth, to see how you're at work, to encourage
encourage us to lift our spirits, to give us this hope. God, fill us up with your Holy Spirit. Give us courage and conviction to stand for you even, even when we have doubt. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. at this time in our gathering when we celebrate communion together if you didn't get your juice and cracker we've got them sides in the back but this is a tangible reminder that God's real that he loves us that he cares for us if he didn't God didn't even spare his own son for us then we know that he loves us and he's working for our good One thing I'm reminded of when we celebrate communion is the words of the prophet Isaiah. 700 years, 700 years before Jesus came. Isaiah, through God's Holy Spirit, predicted what would happen. Isaiah 53, verse 4 says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our sufferings, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Verse 9 says, he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. We see that. We see that when he was condemned as a criminal, as a wicked man, and yet being buried in Nicodemus, the rich man's tomb. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. Yes, the resurrection was predicted. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. For he bore the sins of many and made transgressions and made intercession for our transgressions. Yeah, Jesus came in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies like that. That says God is real, he loves us. Proved it through the cross. So the next few moments are yours. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I, I would encourage you to ask those questions of who is Jesus? Is he really is he really the Son of God? Did he really rise from the dead? What does that mean for, for my life in following him? But if you are a follower of Jesus, and you want to draw closer to God through his sacrifice, the next few moments are yours. Take up the cracker that represents his flesh that was torn open, the blood that was poured out to purchase our redemption. bring us back to God. Next few moments are yours. Let's take, let's eat, and I'll wrap this time up with a word of prayer.
Father. God, we are grateful that you have revealed yourself to us, that you, that you do have a perfect plan for all of our lives, and that in the midst of the trying times and the difficulties that we experience now in this sinful world, you've already provided the, the payment that was due to make things right. God, we, we look forward to the day that your son Jesus returns and makes all things go back right. God, help us to hold on. Help us to continue to trust in you to represent you well in this world. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Let's sing and continue our worship through one more song together.
God, we just thank you that your forgiveness is everything that we need. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Give it up for our worship team. Yes. They're amazing. Great job, guys. Uh, this month we've been doing our Love Your Neighbor campaign. And you've seen it on the table as you walk in by communion. The cards on your chair have also been a way we've been trying to promote this um, just by people showing love and, you know, doing what Christ has taught us and shown us. If you've found ways to love your neighbor over the past few weeks, we'd love to hear about it. You can share how you've done that by texting love to 703-454-5990. And we have a story about um, people loving their neighbor. Um, Janine Steffler is going to come up and close us out with her story and prayer. So thank you. Good morning. So first, I just want to kind of preface, as, as Preston asked me to share this story, I was kind of feeling like, oh, I don't know. You know, it feels weird to get up here and pat yourself on the back like, hey, look what I did. Um, but God brought a verse to my heart. It's in Proverbs 27, 17, and it says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And I think that's really where we have to think about this stuff. When, when he asks you to share, when the microphone gets passed around, to feel like we are sharpening one another. You guys, when I hear your stories, just like what Sean was saying, when you hear each other's stories, it's encouraging to me. And it gives me courage as well to do things that I would feel uncomfortable doing. So given that, um, I think there's a story about Panera. My son and I, um, he had a little bit of time home before college, and so we went to lunch together. And there were a couple of guys who looked homeless, and they had their backpacks and their grocery bags of things, you know. Um, and they were not eating. They were just simply inside Panera, probably trying to be cool because it was sweltering hot that day. And so we decided we were going to offer to see if they wanted some lunch. So we did. Appreciatively, they said, yes, sure, that would be great. We ordered their food with them, and then we said, you know, you go go ahead, sit down, and we'll, we'll bring it to your table. And so when we brought it to the table, um, they were very appreciative, and we said, have a great day, and then I sat back down. And so while I am thankful that God used that opportunity to feed a hungry person, I'm kicking myself a little bit because I did not say anything about Jesus. I didn't say, I'm doing this for Jesus. I, I should have said, hey, can we pray with you? before you eat your lunch, and I didn't, so I'm kicking myself a little, but lessons learned, but that's where I think, like, I need sharpening from this family, from this community. You all sharpen me and give me courage to, because that's not comfortable for me. It was very comfortable to give food. Happy to do that. I'll do it all day long, but if you want me to start talking about Jesus or strangers, not, it's not comfortable for me, so I need to be more comfortable with that, and so I want you guys to just know and be encouraged that it is share your stories with each other. Share them with me because I need it. I need to be encouraged, and I also need courage to then do things that make me uncomfortable. So on that note, if you would stand with me, we will pray and close out. Father God, we're so thankful for uh, the opportunity to come here as a family, as a safe environment to love each other and encourage each other. Thank you for your words this morning. Thank you that you are true, that we can go back. Uh, to remind ourselves of those questions that Sean asked, that you are the one true God, and that you will always be for, there for us, even if you're quiet. But help us, Lord, not to see the opportunities that you put in front of us in our daily lives. And we ask all these things in your son's amazing name. Amen. Have a great week, you guys. <laughs>